I'm Kimberly Amici. Welcome to the Build Your Best Family podcast. This is a practical show to help you imagine, plan, and build your best family. We believe that the secret to having a happy family is not being perfect, but having purpose. Each week, I'll be sharing with you lessons I've learned and conversations I've had that will help you become who you want to be together. Our thoughts determine our feelings, which ultimately influences our actions. When our thoughts are not rooted in truth, we end up making decisions that don't move us in the direction we want to go. This is true in all areas of our life, even in our money life. Without even knowing it, many of us carry negative money mindsets into adulthood, which create a stressful environment in our home, especially when they don't complement and support our family's values. This week's guest, Chelsea Brennan, believes that all of us have money mindset work to do and that being financially successful, no matter what it looks like for you, has as much to do with formulating a plan as it does with peeling back the layers to understand how and why you think about money the way you do. I'll have to say, I love this holistic approach to achieve your financial goals. In our conversation, we talked more about this, plus how we can change our relationship with money, how our words impact that relationship, and what values have to do with creating a healthier relationship with money. We also talk about how we can pass that down to our kids. After listening to this episode, I want to challenge you to follow Chelsea's suggestion and think about your very first money memory. Then give yourself some space to ask, what did I take away from that? And what did I decide about money at that moment? I'd love to hear what you came up with in the Facebook group. Do you want to know what your kids really think of you? We've created the Family Retreat Packet so you can find out and get honest feedback on how you're doing as a family. It's a 360 peer review, but for families. Not only does it include assessment questions, but a sample itinerary, a packing list, and activity suggestions so you can make a fun weekend out of it. Go to www.buildyourbestfamily.com forward slash shop, and for only $4.99, you can download your copy. Today, I'm talking with Chelsea Brennan. Chelsea is the founder of Smart Money Mamas and its monthly membership community, the Motivated Mama Society. An ex-hedge fund manager turned financial educator, she is dedicated to changing the way we talk about money, helping moms connect with all aspects of their money in a way that lets them overcome emotional blocks, identify what they most want, and create the healthy money habits that can help them achieve their biggest goals, all the while modeling positive money relationships for the next generation. Chelsea lives in Connecticut with her husband, a rock star stay-at-home dad, and two young, energetic boys. Chelsea to the podcast. It's incredible to have you here today. Thanks so much for having me. So a question that we ask all of our guests is what is your family known for? Ooh, that's a good question. I'd say at this point, our family is known for being willing to make big changes when something isn't working, which is kind of ironic because both my husband and I were, as kids, our parents thought of us as people that were not flexible at all. (laughs) And now we've totally embraced the, if this is not working, like burn it down, start over. And so I've left a very successful career to start a business. We've moved a number of times and we're just sticking to what really matters to us and our family and willing to make Mm -hmm. changes to get us there. So. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I think that takes a lot of courage and a lot of like hooks, but it just be like, let's make a change. Yeah. I think that's fantastic. 
Okay, so you're here today to talk to us about money, especially when it comes to our mindset, how we view it as a family, and then as a result, what it is that we're passing down to our kids. So let's talk a little bit about what are some of the things that create a negative money relationship in a person, in a family? There are a lot of things, frankly, and we could start a really big picture of how we as a society think about money, money as a source of stress, money and wealth being necessarily evil. We hear that message a lot. Um, Money not being aligned with being a good person without, you know, without being aligned with our values. And so, first of all, from that method, we get that message a lot from a lot of different angles. When you look at it at a family level, Money is a source of stress for many, many families. This is the number one cause of divorce. We see a lot of parents arguing about money in the home, whether we're, when we were growing up or now around our kids. Mm-hmm. And so we see these things and we start to associate money as that way, as a thing that is negative and stressful and that causes animosity. And as kids, I think the biggest thing here is that we are trying to make sense of our environment and our world, right? And so things that cause us any kind of anxiety, we're going to make assumptions to try to answer that problem, right? We are going to make some statement in our head that makes what's going on around us make sense. But at six, seven, eight years old, which is when many core money beliefs are actually started to be set, we don't have any perspective. And so Mm -hmm. we're making these decisions and they start to run in our brains and become kind of self-fulfilling prophecies. So it's what we're hearing. It can be really little snippets. I mean, for some people, obviously what happens is major, right? It's food insecurity, it's housing insecurity, it's, it's parents' divorces that cause a lot of financial stress, things like that. But for some people, it's just a little comment, right? It's something that our parents said out of context that we really focused in on. And really until we start to peel back the layers, we don't see what those mindsets were. Yeah. I know food insecurity is a real thing. I know that the stress that a divorce brings is very real, but I've also heard that a majority of people have money issues, not because they actually don't have money, but because how they think about it and how they manage it. Is that true? Absolutely. And I think that's the first thing to remember is that all of us have money mindset work to do, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> no matter what your upbringing was, there's something in your brain that that's holding you back. That It might not be the majority of your money relationship, but it's there. Mm-hmm. And this is a lifelong journey where we're going to pay attention to, a money, to our money, pay attention to our values, and try to continue to make that mindset a little bit better and a little bit better. Mm-hmm. So how can we change our relationship with money? I mean, you talk, you mentioned peel back the layers, but what does it really mean to examine how we view money and then change that. Absolutely. So what I would start with is think about your very first money memory. And this doesn't necessarily mean your youngest one, but sit quietly for a moment, give yourself some space. And what's the first thing that comes to mind, right? What happened to you? Mm -hmm. And just jot it down. And at first it might not even seem like a money memory, right? It's something that your parents said while you were walking through a store. It's a specific conversation you had around the dinner table. It's something your grandparents said to you about your parents or about someone else that you were seeing out in public, right? Write down what that moment was. Mm -hmm. And then give yourself some space to ask, what did I take away from that? What did I decide about money in that moment, right? And sometimes you're gonna see massive contradictions based on what your adult values are and what that assumption that you made was, but you wanna start to figure out what are these core beliefs that I have even if they're not conscious anymore. Because the problem is a lot of these things have been running in our brains for decades and they're completely subconscious now. Mm -hmm. And so you're really going through your money memory. So start with that core first one. For some people, that's gonna be a wake up call. Just that one thing is gonna shift you. But for other people, I want you to start building your timeline. So think of that first memory, then break down, try to do three, four, five more of them and watch the journey. And then ask yourself, okay, now I have these assumptions that I have about money. 
can I see in the other parts of my life where I made decisions based on those things? Did I choose a college major because of something I've been assuming about money? Did I not go for a promotion? Did I end a relationship? What are the types of things that those money decisions have shifted? And then you can start to see, is this something that I want in my life that I would want in my kid's life? Or is this that something needs to change? And so when we get to change, this taste is a process. It's not something that happens overnight because you are unlearning big things. But what we encourage uh, people to do is to say, what relationship do I want with money? We, we have people pick three feeling words. Do you want to feel wealthy and abundant? Do you want to feel charitable? Do you want to feel secure? And start making the Put those words somewhere where you see them all the time and start making the small daily decisions that move you closer to those feelings, right? Mm -hmm. Until it becomes a habit. Are we making decisions that make us feel safe? Are we making decisions that make us feel abundant? And so it's just a really ongoing practice and an awareness of our money thoughts. We hear all the time, we actually just had a woman in our society post that she'd kind of gone through our mindset course. She's much farther along in her money journey, but she had a specific incident where her car got keyed recently. So she went out to her carport and her car had been keyed. And she was like, I totally was really, really upset and I'm still processing it. But I realized like my first thought was this is why it's not worth having nice things. And mm. she was like, because I've done this work, I can now see that that's the place that I went to. And now I can kind of undo that. I can say, wait, but I have insurance. I can get this fixed. Like this does not mean that it's not worth having money, that wealth always leads to bad things or all the other negative connotations that she had with these kind of experiences. So it's just about identifying those core thoughts and then being aware of them and letting yourself shift them when you become aware of them. Yeah. So what are some common core thoughts? You just mentioned one that this woman said, if I were to think back, I think that some of my money habits were, were built around my parents saying, we can't afford that. We can't afford that. We can't afford that. Now I've done the work to shift that language in our family to say, we're choosing not to spend our money on that. But what are some of the other phrases or core thoughts that people have that you've experienced that people you've worked with? Absolutely. I can't be a good person and have money. That if I'm doing work that is valuable to the world, that it will be low paying, right? They don't think they're worthy of earning a lot of money if they're doing work that's in alignment in their values. Mm -hmm. We hear a lot of the money is evil narrative. And we hear a lot of the I'm not capable of managing money narrative, that we are not a family, that we are not a, a culture, we are not whatever the statement is. We don't manage money. We've even had people reach out a couple of times being like, I'm a teacher, I'm bad with money, or I'm a nurse and I'm bad with money. And we draw these whole identities into our money relationships. So we hear that a lot. And then the one that's really, really hard to hear is we did a survey about a year ago to almost a thousand women. And we asked them, what do they think is their core money belief that's holding them back? And over 50% of the answers were not being worthy of wealth. Wow. There's a whole, a lot of other answers that went into that, but mostly the, the core of it was thinking that if I got money, I won't be able to manage it well. I'm not a good enough person to have money. There's like all these mm -hmm. things that we have, but it all boiled down to, I'm not worthy of wealth. So those are some of the ones that we hear most often. So how do you identify, I mean, we, we've already spent some time talking about mindset, but how do we identify if we need to change our mindset or if we just need a plan? Mm. So like I said earlier, 
we all have to change our mindset, right? There's parts of it that we're working on. And I think that I'll touch real quickly on my core money mindset issue from childhood was that wealth equals worthiness, right? So I had a parent with narcissistic personality disorder that was really focused on wealth and has idolized anyone who had wealth, especially more money than he had. And so to me, my ability to get his attention and his support and his whatever was how successful I was. And so unlearning this was a, a very long process. And so even though on the outside, I looked like I was very successful with money, right? I was a hedge fund career and I made VP at a young age and all these things. Money was a major source of stress for me. I couldn't spend it. I could not enjoy it. I could chunk it away, but I couldn't enjoy it. And so no matter where you are in your journey, you got to do mindset work. I think the core thing is figuring out how does your life and your money life not look like you want it to look. So when we talk about your plan, it's coming back to what are your core values and your core money values as a family? And how can we get your budget and your finances closer to that? Are you feeling completely unstable? And we hear this a lot too, where people come to us and they say, hey, I make a pretty good income. I should be fine, but I still feel like I'm I'm living paycheck to paycheck to paycheck, right? And then it's about A, why do you feel that way? Is it because you actually are living paycheck to paycheck or is it because you have a whole mindset issue around security. And then how can we put the pieces in place to make you feel safe? Does it mean having a bigger emergency fund? Does it mean shoring up, you know, you don't have the right insurance. And so you're worried about if your spouse passes away that you'll be really stuck because you've never gone through the process to get life insurance. I don't think you can separate the two. I don't think you can have a plan and not do mindset work. Gotcha. No, I mean, I it makes total sense. How we view our situation, the things that we believe really impact our actions for sure. So what impact does language have on how we relate to money? I mean, I shared with you that one quick example about how we're trying to change our language because I know that mm. matters, but let's talk about some of the other ways that language impacts what we believe and then and and even that legacy that we pass to our children. Yeah, I think language has a I'm a big believer that words matter in all areas of our lives, right? And that our, our language always matters. When we talk about money, especially when we're trying to change mindset and self-talk, and we're trying to raise kids that have a positive money relationship, our words make a big difference. I said earlier that our kids are taking the little statements that we make and trying to make huge assumptions about them, right? And so it's all the it's all the things that go into it of like wealthy people, you know, very wealthy people being lazy, like being perceived as just entitled and lazy, or if you're hardworking, you're low income, right? And that's like those two parallels make it really hard for some kids to be able to go make a lot of money because then they perceive that they're moving away from this. They're moving away from being a hardworking, virtuous person towards being a lazy, entitled person. And so we have to be careful about our language in all areas. And so your example is actually a perfect one of we can't afford this, right? That language is very damaging to a lot of people because it sets, it's a fixed mindset and it puts this kind of us versus them thing with money of like, we're not a family who can afford those things. And so, A, I love your switch of we're choosing to prioritize other things. The next step of that that we do with our kids as well is putting them into problem solving mode. Like, hey, mom and dad, mom and mom, whatever your family structure is, we're prioritizing other things in our budget right now, but I know you really want that Lego. So what are some ways you could think of to get the money to buy that Lego? And then just step back and let them think about, could I save my allowance if they have allowance? Could I mow somebody else's lawn? Could I you know, do all these little things? Because then it's that total growth perspective and it gives them the idea that money isn't fixed, that we can always find new strategies, that money is out there. We just have to think a little differently about it. Yeah, I love that you talked about strategies. When I first had children, my biggest struggle, it's not, I mean, 
for me, it was a struggle was actually being able to buy my kids things. And I couldn't figure out how do I decide what to buy them? Mm-hmm. Right. So I didn't want to give them everything, but I found myself falling into that trap because I know there were so many things my parents couldn't give me. And so I really had to develop, well, what it is, what do I want my kids to learn about money? And then let them, that guide me about whether I buy them that American Girl doll or do, does each of my kids get their own device? Like what, whatever it is, I had to really figure out what, what did I want to teach them before I could figure out how I was going to create a plan or how I was going to put a strategy in place. And we'll often not buy things that we could afford to get them because we want them to have some skin in the game and we want them to understand that that there's a, you know, you work, you earn money, you strategize, you save money. Like there's all these other things involved in it. Yeah. And that's why I love having our families set up what we call their family money values, which is breaking down what matters most to you as a family, not just money related, but like as a family, what are your core Mm -hmm. values? What relationship do you all want to have with money? What lessons are you looking to teach your kids? I think these are some of the conversations that need to happen with your partner. If you have one or your co-parent really early on of what lessons do we want to teach our kids? We see issues all the time happen with parents where, you know, one parent thinks that as soon as the kid turns 15 or 16, they need to get a job and that's part of their development. And the other parent thinks that's not the case at all. They want them to focus on school and extracurriculars. And so that age comes up for the child and then the child just seems gets completely different messages, right? About mm-hmm. what they're supposed to be doing. And that can cause dis- issues with work. So when you have those conversations as soon as possible and you have them in a place that's written down. So we have a free family money values template that gets it to this like one pager of like, here's the mm-hmm. things we're teaching our kids. Here's the language we don't use, right? Mm-hmm. And so we have a section that this is really important for understanding both your childhood money memories and your partners because we can step on each other's toes without even meaning to. And sometimes we're arguing about things we don't even realize we're arguing about. It's not about somebody overspending on groceries. It's about his mom and dad used to argue about groceries at the dinner table every week and he didn't want to see that anymore. And so identifying those values can let you bring some consistency. And it's actually really funny. An old colleague of mine that worked with me at the hedge fund, so she made very good money. It's not like they couldn't afford anything for their kids, but same as you, wanted to set some boundaries right with her kids and, and what they wanted to afford. And so they used to make this spinach pizza thing that required a food processor. It's just a silly story. And so it was a <laughs> tiny food processor and she'd like use it to make the crust. And the kids got bigger and started eating more pizza. And like, they really needed a bigger food processor to sort of keep making this pizza. <laughs> so her kids were like, we want to make the pizza. And she's like, well, we have to save up to get the thing to get the pizza. And so her kids who are in private school in Boston are picking up pennies and change on the ground on the way to school and, and the playground and telling their teacher, like, we need to save money to get pizza. <laughs> and so <laughs> to the point that her name and their head of school called to make sure that everything was okay financially because both oh, boys wow. were picking up change. <laughs> And so like really good intentions, yeah. but they kind of just didn't talk to the kids about what they were trying right. to, instead of explaining like, Hey, everything is fine. We have money, but we want to make sure that we're saving for the things that matter to us. And so like, right. let's set a goal and like having an open conversation. They just said like, we need to save money to get pizza. <laughs> And at ages six and four, that caused a whole different situation. And so being really intentional about how we talk about money with our kids, that comes back to language, that comes back to values, is just really important. And they will do, you'll have moments like that where you're like, I cannot believe that came out of your mouth, but it's just keep the dialogue going with them. Yeah. And I love how you said writing it down. I think that's so important. So at different stages, we've given our kids different responsibilities when it comes to money. But mm-hmm. we have written, and, and this is more so for me, at, at least it was in the beginning. 
we write down exactly what we're willing to pay for and what we expect them to pay for. And then some rules around, you know, I will buy you, you know, sports equipment, but if you lose it, then you have to replace it. But getting those things down on paper and then referring to them when needed. So, you know, like they can, at different stages, they manage different amounts of money for different things. And now my, my kids are all sort of at the age where we give them all the money that they we would spend on them in a year in a bank account. And they go to the bank each month, they withdraw what they need for their monthly budget, they put it in their envelopes, and that's what they spend. But anytime they ask about something, I'm like, check the list. Like, is it on the list of things that I'm going to buy or you're going to buy? Because I'll forget or I'll have a good day. And then I want to splurge on them. And then and then little sister knows you didn't do that for me. <laughs> so having those things written down really, I think, also takes a lot of the stress out of those like situations that could pop up. You know, you go to the list, check it out. It's done. We've already decided this ahead of time. And this is, touches on two things I really want to dive a little bit deeper on. One is consistency. And so one of the things we get asked about more often is how do we do allowance with our kids? How do we teach our kids about money? And mm-hmm. so often parents create these complicated allowance systems or complicated budget systems for their kids. And it lasts for like a month or two or sometimes a week or two. And then it falls by the wayside. And then six months later, you want to do it again. And so you start it all up. This causes so much confusion for your kids yeah. about money. And so if you're worried about it, A, write it down, like you said, and B, start simple. Make sure it's mm-hmm. something that you can stick to, create a system that's easy for you to process and you to track. This comes up a lot when parents want to stick to cash for a long time with their kids is, you know, you don't have a lot of $1 bills <laughs> lying around and so you get stuck. So there are other ways to do that. But the second thing is that fair doesn't mean equal in a lot of cases, right? And so writing down the rules, the rules for one child don't have to be the same for another kid. And this comes up with money personalities, right? And so I was a natural saver. I, like I said, I had a really hard time spending money, especially on myself. And so any money that came in or I earned got sunk in the bank account. My brother, opposite, money out the door, like lit on fire as soon as he had it. And so for my dad and my mom, we're trying to teach us how to save money. And so they set all these rules around how much we had to save and put 20% away or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And that was not consistent. We can talk, talk about that as well. But mm-hmm. for me, that focus on saving was really detrimental, right? Because it just enforced this lack of security issue that I already had. And so that was a problem. Had my parents instead had different conversations with me and my brother or different expectations of me and my brother. And so one thing is we see already that my five-year-old has that natural saver like instinct. So he has a set amount that he has to save, but he also has a set amount he needs to spend. And we encourage him to find things that he enjoys and make sure that he's spending that money and enjoying that money because both sides are important. I think that we get so focused on teaching our kids about saving sometimes that we end up creating a relationship that money is the be all and end all and not Mm -hmm. a tool to help us create the lives that we want. Mm -hmm. You also see it in, if you have one kid that plays a lot of travel sports and is gone more, which means they need to buy their own meals, their allowance, their budget might need to be higher than your other kid who's with you all the time. And so really just making sure that you you tell your kids that there might be differences, but we're trying to help you all learn the same lessons can also mm-hmm. be helpful. Oh, that's a good reminder. You mentioned, you know, encouraging your child to spend just as much as save. And when my kids were real little, we would have the little buckets, the 10% for giving away and the 10% for savings and then the 90%. And I would... And it wasn't in the beginning, it wasn't tied to chores or anything because I was teaching them the principles of money. Mm-hmm. So I would literally take them to the dollar store and be like, okay, Friday, we're going to go and we're going to spend our money. Cause I wanted them to be comfortable with spending money and saving money. I, mm-hmm. you know, we're not, a lot of people think a budget is restrictive. 
but I think a budget gives freedom. And so if I have to be comfortable, I have to be able to go, I've budgeted for this. I can buy this. And then it goes back to mindset. Like if I'm always feeling like I'm coming from a place of scarcity, but yet I've budgeted the money for it, I have to be comfortable. I have to become comfortable with spending money if it's within my budget. And so I wanted my kids to practice spending. I wanted them to practice making decisions about how they were going to use their money. And I saw, I mean, it was incredible. I mean, it was the difference between going to Target and them asking me for everything and going to Target and me standing there for 30 minutes while they think and count and decide. And, and it was annoying, but it was worth it because they were actually getting to practice being a consumer, which I think is so important as opposed to me, I kind of went off to college and all I wanted to do was be a consumer and I had no idea how to do it and got myself into a lot of trouble. (laughs) That's so funny that you bring up Target. It's one of my husband's favorite things to do, even when they don't actually have enough. My kids are five and three, right? So they don't get Mm -hmm. in a lot of allowance and Mm -hmm. we try not to buy them too many things, but they will go sit at Target for, like you said, for half an hour and pull things off the shelves. And I've seen my five-year-old even in the last few months will pull out two or three things and end up like sitting on the in the aisle in Target, just staring, trying to pick which one he wants. And then he either puts them all back if he's not, if it's not something he really saves for or whatever, or picks that one. It's amazing to watch them make those decisions instead of the gimmies that you get so often. Mm -hmm. And also I want to mention that saving with young kids specifically and up to probably 13, we don't want to get them focused on saving for retirement, saving for college, because their brains aren't yet developed enough to think that far ahead. Mm -hmm. What you end up developing often is a relationship that saving is someone taking my money away which is not what we want. And so we want to set savings goals that are in line with where your kids are developmentally. So if you're talking three, four, five-year-olds, you're only saving for something that's two months ahead, kind of at most. Let Mm. them put the money away every week. And then when they hit that target, really celebrate it with them, right? Like them go pick Mm. the thing out. And so for us, with all our kids, and we recommend this for the moms in our society too, is to print out a picture, let them figure out what they want. We have, you know, we'll go to the store and Henry or George will hold something up. I'll take a picture of them with the thing. We'll put the price tag on it and we'll make a little savings chart. And every time they put a dollar in, they color in a block and we go and celebrate it and let them know that saving doesn't mean someone taking your money away or that it's going away, that saving is future spending. It means you get bigger things you couldn't normally get. Oh, I love that. That's fantastic. And kids are visual. I mean, I'm a visual person, but I think it's so important for kids to visually see their progress mm-hmm. because it is hard for them to imagine the future and it's they, they don't have that ability to do. And that's actually a great point too for giving. Just to mm-hmm. jump in real yeah. quick on this, I, I, teaching kids to be charitable is so important in my in our values, in our opinion. Mm-hmm. But getting kids to understand giving and what that means from a really young age, if you're thinking about three, four years old, that can really be giving to a friend, gifting to a friend, something that's really close and personal to them. Mm-hmm. Or if you want to get them more involved in charities, make sure you're tying it to something that matters to them. If they love art, help them find a local charity that buys art supplies for kids, right? If they love animals, we love World Wildlife Foundation for our son because he gets to quote unquote adopt an animal and get a stuffed, stuffed animal back and feel like he's made that progress. But even yeah. when he picks an animal, so we're on the great white shark right now, that's <laughs> what he's saving to, to, to <laughs> adopt a great white shark. We watch videos about why do great white sharks need help and like, what are these organizations doing and letting him see that visual impact and what's going to happen with his money makes a huge difference and makes him feel like he can use money as a way to help other people and mm-hmm. other things that matter to him. Oh, that's so good. I love that. Our oldest is going to college in the fall and we've brought all of our kids on the college tours and they've been a part of almost every conversation that has to do with money. Like Mm. we're not just talking to our senior 
who's getting, who's making big choices. We're talking to all of them at the same time. Like we're not compartmentalizing that conversation. And I, I do think that my, my youngest will be so much more able to make really good decisions. You know, do you go to private school? Do you go to state school? Do you apply to a school that's going to give you money or apply to school that's really a reach and probably not going to give you anything? And then what does that mean for you? What does that mean for mom and dad? You know, and really we've been, we've done our best to just bring everybody in on the conversation because there does come a point when they are going to remember that it's going to click and they're going to go, okay, I got this. I see how this all works together. It's not just like this decision is not just about Ava. It's about our family as a whole. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I was introduced to the concept a few years ago about the family ecosystem. When you Mm. think about money and how do we preserve the long-term family ecosystem, it comes into building generational wealth and really Mm. all looking at how do our financial decisions affect each other. So I like that you're having that conversation with Mm -hmm. all your kids at the same time and really tying it back to what does it do for mom? What does it do for the other kids? Mm -hmm. Things like that. That's Mm -hmm. great. Yeah. So one of the things you talk about is shame-based financial education. So what does that look like? Because I think of now, of course, when I think of shame, I think of Brene Brown. And so I am, I am mindful of the way we might use shame as parents to get our kids to do something we want them to do, or, you know, we think we're being sarcastic, but it really doesn't, you know, it's not positive. So talk about what it looks like so we can identify if we're doing it and why, and tell us a little bit what, why it doesn't work. Absolutely. So almost all of us have some sort of money shame, whether it's this is comes into keeping up with the Joneses, right? Being embarrassed that we don't have things that other people have, or that we've made mistakes, or that we're just not where we thought we internally would be at this point in our lives. And there's mm-hmm. all these money things that we have deep down. The part of shame-based financial education, this comes in a lot with adults being taught about money. And then obviously they transfer that language onto their kids. And so that's problematic. But it's anytime you're using this see you're bad with money if you're in debt, debt is evil, debt is dumb, debt is dumb thing comes up all the time. That's like, okay, this is just part, like for some people, they're already in this place. And so shaming it does not help. And once you've identified that, then you're, you're solidifying this, I'm bad with money mindset, which makes it really hard to change your behaviors, right? Mm -hmm. So it's anytime you're using the fact that you're not where you want to be as like this punishment to try to encourage you to go forward. It just doesn't work. Right. And so we want to think about not just the places we've went wrong, but I think one of the biggest ways to shift shame-based financial education, if you experience it in the past, or when you're talking to your kids is talk about money wins far more often than we talk Mm -hmm. about mistakes. And so we have every woman in our society create what's called our money, our money wins journal and every little thing like, Hey, I actually woke up and checked my bank account this morning, or I paid off a hundred dollars of debt. And it starts small, it'll balloon, right? You'll get to that point where you're like, I'm on track for retirement or I got out of debt, but you start with the small things. And so we encourage weekly money meetings, either with yourself or with your partner, if you have one. And so before that appointment, it's flipping through that gratitude, that wins journal with your money and saying, Mm -hmm. showing yourself all the things that are going right before we try to go into problem solving mode, right? Mm. Because it solidifies this idea that we can't be good with money. And this ties back to our kids where sometimes, you know, our kid buys that toy that breaks, right? They go to the dollar store, they buy that thing, you know, is a waste of money and it breaks and they're really upset about it. And sometimes our inclination is to be like, see, I told you so. (laughs) I tried to get you to not buy that thing. And that 
just puts it in as like, this is something they're pulling into their personality that I make bad decisions, that I buy things that are frivolous. I think this comes into teaching girls about money a lot because so many things that girls tend to like have been identified as frivolous as our society, right? Clothing, makeup. Mm -hmm. And so they internalize this. I'm spending money on frivolous things, even though statistically men spend money just as often. They just spend it differently, right? They buy the expensive car or they buy the ATV. So they're doing it once instead of doing it many times over the month, but it's the same amount of money. (laughs) It's just like, and so it's thinking about how do we talk to our kids, the words with the money that we're using, letting them focus on the wins and sharing with them when you've made mistakes. I think this is the last stage, especially as your kids get older and they're feeling, you can see when they're feeling shame or they're feeling that competition coming up Mm -hmm. with their friends, that their friends have something that they don't want. It's being willing to share where you've had shame in the past. Like, hey, Mm -hmm. you know, I took out student loans at one point and I didn't know that interest accrued the whole time and I got my balance and I was really freaked out and here's what I did about it. And letting them know that it's totally human, that it's not Mm -hmm. them and that it can get better. And so it's just having that growth mindset with them throughout their their education. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, I love that. So what are some of the ways that we can share our money values with our kids. So do you, have you, you said you, you as a family, you have money values. Are these mm. something that your kids, can they, have they memorized the list? Is this something that, or is it just, do you just infuse it in everything you do? And how do you intentionally share that? Yeah, we have money values that are written down and my kids are still young. Like I said, they're five and three. And so while they get the idea of it, they don't necessarily have them all memorized yet. There's pieces of it that they have. One of which is we have the skills and resources to earn all the money that we'll ever need, right? So for me, who had a real scarcity-based money fear, that is something that I've had to learn. And so it's become one of our family money values. We always have enough to give to others is another benefit that we have and we or a value that we have. And we think about it as even if you can't give money, you can give time, you can give support, you can give a many, many other things. And so it's that charitable mindset and, and value as well. And so the way we talk about money, and I think that where parents sometimes get stuck is they'll ask, how often do I talk to kids about money? And how do I tell them what our values are? And it really should just be in your day-to-day behavior, right? Mm-hmm. I'm a big believer that money touches almost everything that we do, right? We wish it kind of didn't, but yeah. it impacts where we live and where we shop and and the vacations that we go on. And so just letting that naturally come up with your kids as much as possible is going to teach them a lot more than sitting them down and being like, here's our money values, repeat them 500 times. <laughs> it's just not going to sink in in the same way. And so it's really yeah. just letting them be around them. But we do have them written down and they are in a place that they've seen them. They're in our, our my husband and I's uh, mm-hmm. money notebook. It's the beginning of the notebook has has that family value sheet. And so they'll, they'll get more exposure to it as they get older, but it's really just about the decisions that we make every day. Yeah. I remember what I was going to mention earlier when you were talking about wins mm. and money wins. Now I like to write down, I'm better at it sometimes than others, but I like to write down my end of the day wins, but I've never thought about doing it with money because I think we have more money wins, like you said, than we even realize. And I'm just now thinking of some things like you know, I had money left over in my entertainment budget from last week or yeah. last month. And it, I could, trick, you know, roll it over into this month. I mean, that's a money win. When things first got down, shut down for COVID last year, I was like, oh my gosh, my envelope is getting so fat. Like, <laughs> <laughs> And that's amazing, right? It's that feeling. And I think that that's a question we've gotten before too, of like, I'm trying to start my money wins journal, but everything seems too small. Like, I only moved $5 into savings this month and I wanted to move a hundred and it's just that it didn't happen. Like you can start Mm -hmm. really, really small. And I think it's good to remember that the way our human brains work, which are meant to keep us safe is that we focus more on the negative and the things that make us feel 
like we're in danger because mm-hmm. we're trying to avoid those instances, right? And so there's a different range of studies on this, but in general, it takes eight to 10 positive interactions to offset one negative interaction. Mm-hmm. And so you have to write down as many of these wins as possible, even if they seem small, before you can start really building that snowball that you're going to be able to push the negative thoughts away and really process. You're going to make mistakes. It's not like we're going to get away from never having negative money thoughts or never making a mistake, but it's having the fortitude to recognize it as what it is, let it go, learn from it and move forward. And so those wins, as tiny as they are, is a great place to start. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that. And I'm thinking even, even being able to treat your friend for an ice cream. That's mm. a money win, especially Absolutely. when it's important to you and you budgeted for it. And, you know, it's not just about saving. It can be about spending too. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So we'll wrap up with this last question. What are a few things to consider when creating money goals for our family? Mm. So we talk about in our society, what's called the money hierarchy of needs, which basically takes Maslow's hierarchy, which many of us are are familiar with, Mm -hmm. and talks about how each level of that pyramid is actually tied to different levels of money achievement. Personally, I think that we've split self-development, personal development, and money for far too long. Mm -hmm. And that we see these things about pursue your passions, chase your dreams. And it's like, that's great if I'm food insecure, housing insecure, like fallen on deaf ears, can't do anything about it, have to keep the job even if my boss is, is awful, right? And so... When we talk about money hierarchy, it's really building up to first making sure you have those physiological needs covered. Do you have a safe place to live? Good food. Security is, if there was a bump in the road, do I still feel safe? Do I feel comfortable with my money? And this is not always a dollar value, right? This is a feeling too. There's actually research that as women get higher paying careers and build more wealth, they actually have an increasing fear that they're going to end up as a bag lady, right? That they're going to end up broke. And so this is a mindset thing as well, but this is where you're going to really be getting out of debt, building your emergency fund, making sure that you're safe no matter what happens. Next step is uh, love and belonging, right? Do I actually have the time and energy and money to pour into my relationships and into my self-care and and myself. And you move forward into really building your career and getting to that kind of self-actualization, financial freedom. And so we think about family goals. We want to look at that pyramid and say, where do we have holes? Where's the lowest level of this that we aren't yet secure in? And maybe, you know, at some points, you're going to have points checked out across across the, the five levels. But you'll see, hey, I'm missing something in security. And that's why, even though I've been trying to advance my career, I've been self-sabotaging, right? Because I'm really scared about this thing that I'm missing. And so when you want to set goals, you want to go back and make sure that you're secure, that you have the things that you need and build up from the base, right? If you're not currently in a place where you're not living paycheck to paycheck and you have debt, that's where you have to start. You have to start planning for retirement. And with our kids, this can be really difficult because sometimes we want to set goals as a family and we're like, let's plan a trip to Disney, right? We want to do this big thing and exciting thing for our kids. But first we kind of have to take care of house, right? We can't do that in a way that ends up going on the credit card or ends up even paying cash, but pulling half that cash Mm -hmm. from our emergency fund only creates more stress as a family. And so it can be explaining to our kids, hey, I really want to do this big trip. But first we've got to pay off this card, right? And so let's help us. And and your kids are going to be aware of any financial stress that you have. So trying to hide it from them is not helpful. It doesn't mean you have to tell them exactly the numbers, what's going on, how much you earn, how much debt you have. But it's saying to them, hey, we're looking for some fun ways that we can save money. Let's look at our budget together and say like, hey, we used to do a monthly movie night, right? Where we went out and we all got popcorn, we got movie tickets. 
what are some other things we could do that night that would be just as fun? And let your kids come up with different ways, right? Can you do the movie night at home? Can you go for a hike? Can you do something else? And let them uh, help them see that as a family, we can make decisions that get us closer to what we really want. And it's not about telling them that we have to get out of debt. It's about telling them we want to go to Disney and this is a domino we have to knock over to get to Disney. And so it's you taking a look at what that, that money hierarchy is and then helping your kids get involved in getting to what they really want. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, that's good. And I love like you said, domino, that just makes so much sense. Oh, that's such practical, amazing practical advice. All right. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. This was fantastic. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. This was lovely. You can find Chelsea at smartmoneymamas.com. She's on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter as Smart Money Mamas as well. I'll link to all of these in the show notes. If you'd like to connect beyond the podcast, you can find me over on Instagram. It's my favorite place to hang out and share the ups and downs of everyday life what we get right, and what we get wrong, too. You can find me at at Kimberly Amici, and you can find the podcast at at Build Your Best Family. Remember, family culture is not about perfect, it's about purpose. <laughs>